As the world begins to emerge from the cave of the 21st century and opens its eyes onto the suffering from centuries of injustice and the bastardization of what it means to be free, the new Nomos podcast is a call. A call for a new beginning. A call for the new men and the new women that yearn to be truly free. A call for us to fulfill our destiny. A call for a new Nomos on the earth. Welcome to the New Nomos Podcast. I'm Abdallah Dutton, inviting you to join me on this journey of discovery to define what the New Nomos is and what we need to get there. This episode was particularly interesting for me because, firstly, I was traveling, so I was on an outward journey, and secondly, I had traveled to Barcelona to meet with Malik Basso, and I'd booked myself a, a six o'clock in the morning flight. I hadn't slept the night before. I arrived in Barcelona early in the morning, took a taxi straight to Malik's apartment, and on meeting with him, I pitched to him the idea that I wanted to record an episode with him. Now, at this point, he replied that we'd only be able to do it if we did it there and then. So, having literally just jumped off an airplane, I set up my microphone in Malik's bedroom and we recorded this episode. So, for me, it was having to put into practice one of the key learnings from the first episode being spontaneity, having to really put that into action. And even with no sleep and being exhausted and tired from my journey up until that point, I knew I had to do it and I knew I had to do it there and then. And I know I made the right decision. Malik Basso has worked across the spectrum in the world of film, recording documentaries, feature-length films, television serials, and he's also a screenwriter and a well-respected screenwriter. And I travelled to meet him because I really wanted to get an understanding from him of the hero's journey from the perspective of a screenwriter and the perspective of somebody who is consistently and actively writing stories for film that cover this idea of the hero and of the hero's journey, as mentioned by Joseph Campbell. So, without much further ado, I present to you Episode 7, The Hero's Journey, A Screenwriter's Perspective. I started very young uh, making documentaries, just recording journeys and trips and uh, documenting my travels and making documentaries right after television school. You know, that's a way of, of researching the world and finding out about the world. It's a it's also storytelling, but it's a kind of storytelling from found from found stories, from found characters. So they don't come out of you, they you find them. So I think this makes sense when you're very young because you don't have that much experience. So what story are you going to tell? You have to go out and find the stories. And so I did go out to Pakistan and I told the story of so and so, and I did go out to Albania and told the story 
I did travel with people and uh, travel to East Germany right after the fall of the wall. And it's always been documentary style as in, as in, you know, you go and find bits and pieces of the world and of the stories of the world and the people of the world and the teachings, and then you make something which is very much yours. At the end of the day, the word documentary is quite deceiving because yes, it's based on documental evidence, but you're telling a story, you're telling a fiction really, because you could, you could tell one story with that footage and you could tell the opposite story and to, for it to mean something completely different. So in a way it's fiction. Have you seen My Octopus Teacher? No, I need to. I've, I've, I, it's funny, I've had recommendations from very different sides. Like my daughter, who's nine, <laughs> said, you have to watch that film. And then Anwar, who's you know a, a painter in his 40s, he also said, you need to watch that film. Uh, no, it's just interesting because I was really curious to hear your thoughts on it because it's, it is a very visual documentary, right. a very unique documentary because a lot of it's underwater. And then on top of that, there is this narrative of the of the story that's being told and there's basically this this man that has been in the world of film and hasn't found fulfillment in it goes back to what he did in his childhood which was playing around in the ocean in the kelp forests of um around cape town and just going into the ocean and playing in the ocean is what he loved as a child and he goes back to that and in going back to that he meets this octopus basically and it's all of these elements from his life that have led him to go back to his childhood that had given him the means by which to produce this film. So he worked in the world of film, which is one part, so he knows how to operate the camera and he knows how to get the shots. Then at the same time, uh, he worked with the Khoisan, learning how to track animals in the bush, right? So now he uses this skill but in this new world, which is the kelp forest of the Western Cape, to find and track this octopus, that he then goes every day swimming to go and you know engage with this octopus that he basically makes friends with. And it was just coming to me because when we were in Portofino uh, this last week, um, we were sitting there in a restaurant, and as our kind of the, 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 our meal came to an end, and we were sitting there and. You looked in the, one of the waiters. Oh, look, 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 the octopus has come back. And this is just this octopus there against the wall. And it's absolutely amazing, you know, and it comes up to the surface and then it's changing its color because lower down where there's less light, it's murky. But now as it comes up to the top, you've got this kind of crystal blue water and the octopus just turns turquoise immediately. It was absolutely fascinating. You must have been right up against the water. It was one of the kind of those floating pontoons. So we were actually sitting in the water. Wow. Floating on top of the water in Portofino. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. No, so I was just curious in that sense because there you've got a documentary. There's very much a story and there's a narrative and there's the protagonist and he's, you know, engaging with this creature and there's all of these things that he learns and difficulties, et cetera, et cetera. And that's his story. This podcast is in search of a Muslim hero, right? So it's in search of everything that is heroic in whatever shape or form and whichever through whichever medium, whether that's ancient literature, modern literature, contemporary events, history, uh, songs from the past, and all of these different kind of um, means by which we can understand 
what it means to be heroic and what we can do to be more heroic. Now, I think, and this is something that I want to explore with you more, is that film as a form of literature almost, the form of storytelling can be very powerful. And I want to explore where does that power come from and what is that power and how does it really resonate with people. And obviously the hero's journey of Joseph Campbell and what he found from his study of all of these stories throughout time having a kind of similar structure. Yes, he, he found that in the storytelling traditions of the world, there was a common structure, a common set of stages, which, which he called the hero's journey. And it's, he divided it into 12 stages. And it's very interesting because it, he found that this has very deep psychological and almost physiological uh, roots in, in, the human, in the human mind and the human nature. So Hollywood, you know, very much adopted this method. And so it is the, it's also the basic structure of the Greek play, of the Greek classical play. Yeah, I mean, film is storytelling. And storytelling is basically chartering the hero's journey, always. If there's no heroism, there's no story, really. And uh, the kind of films or series that I struggle with are the ones that have no heroism. And as characters have becoming more relatable in, in modern times. There's a tendency to make characters more relatable, which means more flawed and more real. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing because it creates very, you know, palpable characters. But sometimes that goes to, you know, goes overboard and then it's not heroic anymore. It's just, you know, it's just a scumbag. The the hero, inverted commas, is, is just a scumbag. In, in, and that's, I think that's a danger now. You may have the balance right in, let's say, um, Breaking Bad, because the guy is uh, is basically a drug dealer and uh, killing people. But at the same time, he's surviving and keeping his family alive. I mean, he's, it's so funny because he's a bourgeois hero. He wants to set up his family properly and he's, you know, pay for his college, his kids' college tuition. And it's so funny because he's a bourgeois hero all he wants is, you know, financial stability for his family when he's gone. And he will do the most horrible things to achieve that. But that's the kind of limit that, of a relatable character. So it's a balance, you know. It needs to be relatable, so imperfect and human. But at the same time, it needs, the hero needs to be heroic. And if you consider that heroic, well, keeping your family, you know, survival... Uh, not only survival, but like a good standard of living, well, then, then he's your hero. But it says a lot about our society, you know, which, you know, where give, giving his family a perfectly nice bourgeois life and he will become a drug lord, dealer, killer, you know. And uh, yeah, so it's it's very interesting. You know, it, ha it has become very complex, but I think it's it's all about that. You want to have a heroic, inspiring figure whether it's a man, a woman, a robot, an animal, you know, you, you want the, that central figure to do something heroic, to transform himself, to transform the situation he's so in. So now you've said a number of times something heroic. I want almost to define what does that mean? What does it mean that you want the character to be heroic? 
And what scale is that defined on? It's all kind of scales because you could tell I'm writing a film now where there's a guy in a white cube. He's in a room and he never leaves that place. And the only interaction he has is through a phone call to a woman. And that's, you know, a micro kind of scale, but he will have to be heroic in that situation. I will have to find a way for him to be heroic in that situation. On the other side of the scale, you have, let's say, the Iliad, the greatest epic story. But at the end of the day, a hero is someone who will sacrifice himself, his well-being. He will leave his comfort zone to bring healing to the situation around him, to himself, to his people, to his society, to his family. Yeah, the hero is someone who sacrifices for others, basically. You know. Yeah, because I think something that's just in in me, having, you know, as I embarked on this journey. I mean, I'm fascinated by history. You know, I'm fascinated by these big, these huge figures throughout history that m moved through the world and changed things. It's, it, I find it absolutely fascinating. So, I mean, and from an Islamic perspective, I mean, you've got like the likes of Tamerlane, Salahuddin, Babur, the Mughal emperors, the Ottoman emperors, you know, we've, there's so many in our history. But now, as I'm slightly further down this journey, it's becoming even more clear that heroism goes so much further. It goes so much further beyond these absolutely heroic on another scale figures from history. But there's also your everyday heroes, you know, people who do something heroic in their life, and anybody can be heroic. But yeah, it's that aspect of the of what is heroic, really. And I think you mentioned it in the sense of there being myriad ways of defining the hero. But then what did you say that is that they sacrifice themselves for the greater good almost? Yes, because even when a hero is out to, to save himself or to get himself out of a of a, an insufficient situation that he's in, a comfortable but insufficient situation for his own potential or her own potential, then he's an example to others. So he might do it only for himself, but he's an example to others. You know, the best thing you can do for your tribe is to, to fulfill your own potential, to fill your cup, and then it will overflow to them. So a hero is someone who will sacrifice himself for his society, for the greater good. But you can have a story where the hero is out for himself. He is struggling to save himself. So he's sacrificing part of himself to reach a higher self. So he may be sacrificing his ego in order to reach his spiritual capacity. And it's such a fine line because you could view that as self-involved but at the same time he f he fulfilling his own potential will fill his cup and overflow to others inevitably so the best thing you can do for others is to fulfill your own potential now there's something that i want to look at which is at the, at the moment i'm watching uh, black mirror and it it's very dark <laughs> and Lots of the episodes are also quite sinister, where 
you're seeing th- this kind of po- these potential future scenarios where technology has basically gone out of control almost and each one of the stories are really quite tragic there are e- aspects of it that remind me of greek tragedy in the sense that you're seeing these horrific things being portrayed to you and in it you start realizing that if we allow things to continue in this way then the future can be very dark or the, well it's not so much that but it's almost that if we the the ramifications of allowing things to continue as they're going but it's quite dark and it's quite tragic and yes there may be a cathartic aspect to it but is that heroic and should storytelling be something that is inspiring and putting giving hope to the person viewing it or should it be um reminding the viewer you know almost can it be a warning yes there are warning signs that's just about what i was going to say i think the greek tragedy was largely a collection of warning signs in the psychological and family political order of the time but they were warning signs we know from our tradition that we have to live within certain limits and these limits are very wide we call it fitra it means nature the limits are very wide and that's where freedom is found accepting those limits and moving freely within them and they're very very you know there's there's a great expansion within that and the greek tragedy comes to show you what's beyond the limits of human behavior because that's always a possibility in every human we are capable of the highest actions and the highest intentions and passions and we are capable of the lowest as well and the greek tragedy delved deep into the most negative things that human beings could do to each other and to themselves to warn people at a superficial cultural level so you would go to watch a play and you'd watch the hero and the protagonists of the story go astray and so that would be a, a warning to you and then at a deeper psychological level it would give you the experience of going astray in a very deep way in a very perverse way you know killing your father and having sex with your mother and killing eating your children i mean is the most horrific things you could imagine yeah. but these things are possible and they have happened in the human history and so at a deep psychological level what it did when you saw that play is that it gave you the psychological and physiological journey it gave you the experience so that you could get it out of your system and go through it and feel i'm almost going to say fulfilled because that's part of the human possibility and therefore there's a latent need to go through that in the human being you we're curious beasties we're curious creatures we want to know our whole potential low and high uh but if it's with without if it's without or out with those limits or beyond those limits sorry then you want to do it in a safe space 
and that's the space of storytelling of plays and films you want to the the idea was to put you through doing those horrific things psychologically so that you wouldn't do them in reality really it's therapy coming back to this black mirror it's like you see where things can end up if we continue allowing things to continue the way they are yeah so black mirror is 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 a more social collection of tales in the tradition of brave new world or 1984 it's a projection of where society might go if we let it go and don't observe these limits because these limits have personal implications but they also have social implications and if we lay if we let technique and finance and technology loose it will run loose and it will devour what's left of humanity so they need to be very dark i think black mirror is you know you have such an uncomfortable feeling after you watch an episode but that's good because that's what a warning should do it should you know it should basically inform you that fire burns if you touch it it burns and so it's a warning sign it's a very complex cultural warning sign and at the same time it can contain a hero because the the deeper into hell the hero goes the more heroic he will be you as a storyteller that is giving an example through storytelling you want to put your hero through the worst possible things you want your hero to suffer the worst things because the greater the sacrifice the more heroic he will be from a technical perspective as a screenwriter why do we like to see the hero going through like the hardest and most horrific obstacles it's inspiring because we you know we have to get up in the morning even even when we don't feel like it <laughs> and we have to go to work maybe or you know however much we may like our work is sometimes hard and we have to deal with difficult people and we have to deal with ourselves and so seeing someone go through much much bigger things is inspiring because it it it, it will put things in relative perspective so it will give you a a standard by which you can be inspired to overcome your own difficulties so the greater those difficulties and the the deeper the hell of the hero the more inspiring it will be to you whatever your struggle is because life is a struggle for everyone we're all struggling you know in relative terms we may be, we may be blessed with a very wonderful situation or not but we're always struggling every day is a struggle you have to get up and you have to make the best of the day and storytelling helps you inspire that and infuse that with context and uh basically give you an example uh to follow uh in the very simple sense of if that guy went through the battle of the thermopolis and came out alive and spiritual and and scathed then i can definitely get through my day in you know beautiful barcelona <laughs> But is that then removed if it's a fantastical world if it's like in some kind of fantasy world where as a viewer as real as it as it feels watching this and you kind of if it's a very good production you're going to get engrossed in the film and the imagery but now if you have some future 
hero who's confronting aliens or whatever it is, does that still inspire one to be more heroic? Very much so, because it, this is, is deeply rooted in the human psyche. And it's interesting what we were saying about documentary. You know, there may be a, a popular misconceptions that documentaries are truth, and they're not really. They're storytelling. They're fiction. Because, yes, you gather documentary evidence from the world, but ultimately there's an author or a group of authors who will tell their story with those gathered materials. Yes, real materials, real footage, real people, real interviews, but at the end of the day in the editing room, you make up a story. So in a way, documentary is telling a big lie with the tools of truth and with the appearance of truth and the materials of truth. And fiction is an attempt to tell the truth with the materials of fiction, with a bunch of lies. You're using a bunch of lies as your tools to tell a deep psychological truth. So whether that is historical, because the Battle of the Thermopolis happened, or that's Avatar, where it's a completely imagined futuristic world, you're telling the story of a person, a character, leaving comfort zone, sacrificing, fighting, learning, and ultimately bringing healing back to his people and to himself. So fiction is ultimately a search for truth in literature, in cinema, in television. And science fiction is no different, really. It might even be more effective because it completely lifts you out of your of the familiar surroundings and it might reach deeper into the subconscious, I think. But I think that's why science fiction is so popular because it's, I think it's very deep. You know, Blade Runner, Avatar, all these stories ring very true and very deep for people, I think because they're able to see it somewhere so different in such a different world to their own that it reaches something very deep in them. I want to talk about Ertugru. You want to talk about Ertugru? Right. I don't know it that well. As a Muslim, it is so wonderful and inspiring to see a production where the Muslims are painted in a really beautiful light. And you watch it and, you know, Ertugru is heroic and he's overcoming all of these obstacles. But what I found in myself is I'm watching this and I'm feeling, wow, you know, I'm a Muslim and this is what we did. And it's, it's great. What a history we have. Wow. You know, and it makes me proud of being Muslim. But it ends there. You know, I switch off the TV. I go to sleep. I wake up the next day. And it's like, it hasn't really inspired me to do anything. Really? When did you watch this? Um... Well, I watched it while I was doing my MBA. <laughs> so how do you know it hasn't inspired you in a subconscious way to come out and travel the world and do your podcasts? Well, I think it's almost been a reverse inspiration, if I, if, I, if I speak honestly, in that because I don't think it's activating people to do something. Now I what, think it's activated you. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to delete this out. You can't just... You can't, you can't tickle me like that. No. <laughs> don't delete this. Okay, fine. Because you don't know how it goes in the undercurrents. Mm. Well, that's actually a really interesting point. Thank you. 
because that actually is highlights the whole thing doesn't it the whole argument because you don't actually know because it's going in on a subconscious level there's what you see but then there's the the subconscious and i think the deeper it is and the deeper the effect it has on you so the deeper the effect of the storytelling in you the less you will know in a way because you, we don't know our depths just repeat that the deeper if something is affecting you very very deeply it's more likely that you don't know about it oh, wow. because we don't know our bottom <laughs> oh, no. the bottom of the ocean of ourselves we don't know it we're we're diving in every day hopefully that's part of our daily practice uh, but we don't know it so you know the ocean's very very deep and at a certain point it goes completely dark and it's it's total darkness it's 100 darkness as in nothing can be seen but right at the bottom you may know there are these creatures that emit their own light and that's a wonderful metaphor for the human spirit because you have to go through considerable amount of darkness and trouble and you know to reach that but at the same time whatever happens there in that in those depths uh is 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 mysterious is very mysterious so that series that story of Erdogan may may have affected you in a very deep way and the fact that you're not conscious of it I'm venturing here. I'm thinking out loud. <laughs> I'm not a psychiatrist. Yeah. But the fact that you don't acknowledge that it has affected you may be a sign that it has <laughs> uh, deeply. Yeah. Well, I mean, I it, I do I am inspired by the heroic stories. <laughs> so and here we are. So yeah, exactly. Absolutely. To me, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> to me, it's pretty obvious. That's part of what. It's certainly part of what inspired you because it has come out in this conversation. And here you are, out of your comfort zone of Cape Town, traveling the world, making this podcast, um, and you know, trying to find out what heroism is, and quite honestly, you know, being a hero yourself by doing it. Well, it's a journey, isn't it? And I think, I, well, we see that comes to the interesting thing about it of of coming coming back to Joseph Campbell, and that it's the hero's journey. It's a journey, and I think that's something that's also becoming a lot clearer: is that to be truly heroic is is the hero is something that emerges out of the other side of a long journey and a difficult journey and a journey full of trials and tribulations and temptations and obstacles and things trying to to um deviate you from your path so you don't reach your goal and it's you know if one reflects then and puts that onto life and life is a journey and we've come constantly thrown these obstacles and it's kind of how do we choose to confront these obstacles or overcome these obstacles or avoid these obstacles or what are we doing and it's those choices that kind of push us towards either being heroic or not hiding under the bed <laughs> hiding under the bed locking yourself in your house yeah i mean the the hero is 
is a hero from the moment it, it, he crosses the threshold. And this is one of the stages of the journey. The, the, the hero is in his comfort zone. There is a call to adventure. And there is a, a debate about whether he should take this journey or not. The meeting with the, with the wise man or the mentor or the goddess. And there's that sort of spiritual inspiration to take it after denial because the natural human reaction to a call out of your comfort zone will be, no, thank you, I'm fine here, you know, brave heart, just want to plow my field and, uh, you know, raise my family. Yes, but the Brit, the English are, you know, clearing us out. They want to fill this place with sheep. Yeah, but I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> yes, but, so there's a, there's a meeting with the mentor, which is a spiritual inspiration, and then there's crossing the threshold. From the moment the threshold out of the comfort zone is crossed into the unknown territory, the strange world, then that person, that character becomes a hero. I want to kind of really ask you, should stories have a happy ending? I think some of them should, yes. I have a tendency to write happy endings. Why not? Because you, I think one can be a pessimist in the short term, but there's no choice but to be an optimist in the long term. And so if you're telling a story, you're, you're kind of telling, you want it to be self-contained and philosophically comprehensive. It's every film you make, every story you write, every joke you tell, every bedtime story you tell to your children will be, you know, it, it's a reflection of your view of the world, of your philosophy. And therefore, I think, you know, in, in our tradition and in human nature, there is hope. And it's a very important aspect. And so a happy ending is a, is a plastification. It's an aesthetic expression of that hope in the human heart. Is a happy ending. Why not? I think it's good. I mean... I think there's the common misconception that Hollywood is fantasy and is not real. And that may be true in the realm of of love and marriage because it has very much picked up, for a long time, has picked up the European kind of romantic, chivalric tradition of romance. And that could be quite toxic in many ways. I think it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm astounded how you go into a supermarket and there are always love songs playing, always, of heartbreak and yearning for this other human being and so on. Because what happens is people will go into the supermarket and that music will connect them to their emotions and open them, open them up, make them vulnerable, and they will consume. I mean, it's so perverse. And I, I can only conclude that it's intentional because every supermarket I go, there are love songs playing. It's not rock and roll, you know, like, yeah! <laughs> it's, it's, it's all about lost love and bro broken hearts. And, and we've all, you know, hopefully <laughs> had our hearts broken. Uh, but that's a, such a perverse way, way of exploiting it. So they'll play on people's vulnerability, you know, and you'll then consume. That aside, I think there's a common misconception that Hollywood is fantasy and that it's um, somehow 
a machine of imperialism, of American imperialism, a machine of, which is how it started, by the way, in the First World War as a propaganda machine for the, for the war. But I don't think it's always been that. Uh, I think they have taken the, the traditional structure from, from Greece and what Joseph Campbell studied. It's, it's a three-act structure. It's a hero's journey. And they've done it very well. And to a great extent, they've told the stories of the common man and made the common man heroic. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's quite good, Hollywood. I mean, I do love Hollywood films. <laughs> There's one thing coming back. You mentioned about documentaries really being fiction mm -hmm. or a fictional representation of the true. And then talking about Hollywood not necessarily being all fantasy. And it's reminding me of something that I was told with regards to writing. And it was that it was, it was somebody was warning me about my writing and telling me, if you write the truth, it becomes fiction. But if you write fiction, it becomes the truth. Yes, I think this is, this is true. You can make documentaries and, and with them, speak truth to power and expose the corruption in power or you can tell fictional stories which is neorealism and you can you know inspire people to show them that something else is possible you start with the truth but you ultimately want to tell your story and you may be using the materials of truth the documentary evidence but you are ultimately telling your own story because it's your view of the world it's your editing of those experiences is where you put the camera in that interview and what you cut out and what you left in and what you put after what in the editing room. And same with writing. You know, you can tell a true story in very different ways. And fiction, because it's free and it's you with the pen and paper, it might be deeper. It might be that you're reaching to a deeper psychological truth, that it's more inevitable in a way that it's more authentic and therefore you might be able to get closer to the truth because the documentary evidence can be distracting from the truth because it looks like, you know, it looks like documentary. It looks like a clip from newsreel, something that's happened and someone's filmed it. But the whole context, the music, the pace, the editing can transform that and actually give it the opposite meaning. But if you're writing fiction you it's an exploration you might do a lot of research yes but ultimately it's an exploration of your own being and your own experience and your own perspective on the world so that's can be more authentic can be more honest and there's a spanish producer who used to say the movie is the editors he he it's his movie because he's going to end up retelling the whole story with the director yes but if he or she is a good a good editor, he will make a proposal of a new story that is possible with the material. And a very good editor of a film will not even look at the script. They will just take the footage and tell a story with that footage and propose something to the director that he might be surprised with. So there are many authors, you know, in filmmaking. It's like, well, we say you tell this, the movie three times when you write it, when you direct it or shoot it, and when you edit it. And it, it also takes a life of its own, you know. It's, I'm now in the post-production of a film 
and it hasn't turned out like I wanted it to. And I have quite bad philosophical conflict about it, to be honest. You know, it's like almost going against my my gut and my principles, but it just happened that way. You know, the, the combination of, you know, the actors and the script and the possibilities and the editing has just led the truth of the story to go somewhere where I'm not very comfortable with, you know, in terms of my persona, but I'm just going to have to let it live, I think. And it's it's so weird to see how a story can take life, a life of its own. And the sound man, the guy who was doing the sound on the set said, you know, once a story takes over, there's no stopping it. You might try to channel it, but it's it's its own beastie and it's beyond what we can manipulate. Which is really interesting because myth as a concept, if you think about where it came from, these are stories that were passed down through generations and each generation added a little bit and removed a little bit. And these you have these stories that take on a life of their own to become this kind of the mythological story. But now each storyteller gives it its own flair. It gives it their unique thing. Not only flair, but political perspective. I mean, you can use uh, the basic core of a story to tell something very, very different. Right. So you have these stories that are naturally, almost you could say naturally changing, Chinese whispers-esque, mm -hmm. through the years and through the generations. And from that emerges these kind of um, quintessential myths of a people, of a clan, of a tribe, of a nation. But it's almost, it's the result of lots of minds over time processing it yeah. processing it and, and filtering it and turning it into this thing that taps into the collective unconscious yeah that's an interesting reflection like you know through the different voices at different times it becomes more contemporary or more regional or it takes a different as i said it takes a different political aspect different political intention uh different aim now there's one thing that i from a political perspective and that is film as a means of manipulation and there's a means of uh, conditioning people into a certain narrative yes very much so i mean as i said hollywood was born as a propaganda machine in the first world war and a large part of it has remained propaganda for american imperialism and consumerism romantic love which is can be quite disarming and so on but i would say that's only part of the hollywood experience and a lot of hollywood is actually very good very inspiring very liberating there are films you know like groundhog day comes to mind the rom-com you were talking about uh romantic comedies and it's it's a beautiful story of how a man can be transformed through the love of a woman and that's classic and that's beautiful and that's because he's a a bit of a scoundrel to begin with and he you know he did, he does polish himself through this you know the destiny of reliving the day the same day over and over until he gets it right you know he gets a wonderful opportunity from the divine from providence from destiny to to get it right and that's a wonderful story 
and you know so is avatar is it's a great classical tale of heroism and you know connection to nature and divinity and freedom and and fitra nature you know like a natural form of society to that needs to be preserved and so it's mostly it's mostly good and positive and inspiring but yes of course film and television uh, are always are also used by interest groups and uh, financial interests uh, political interests to to push a certain narrative for sure you know um, I think that's why Clint Eastwood made two films about the Second World War one from the perspective of America and another one from the perspective of, of, of Japan because he realized that and it was an exercise of mirroring he made two great feature films so uh, kind of to conclude can you recommend just an a brilliant piece of film on every level visual inward outward just a masterpiece of cinematography screenplay just a great film and i know that it's difficult probably to give one because there's a plethora of them or there's there's many possible answers but like what's the first one that comes to your head yeah the first that comes to my mind is is actually two films on the two sides of the so-called cold war dialectic you know one from a russian filmmaker who was very critical of of the regime of the of the soviets but uh it's called stalker by andrei tarkovsky and it's about a man going into what's called the zone and it's a very very deep very wonderful film very essential in in my view and an anecdote about it which i find very interesting is that when they finished shooting it the whole film burnt celluloid is a very flammable material and the whole all of the material burnt and they had to shoot it again and for me this is proof that that film was worth making because if you have to shoot it again and you do it and you do it successfully like this is a major film in the history of of cinematography of film of cinema sorry then that's that that's a, a film worth watching and then i mentioned avatar i think it's quite you know quite close to perfection in the sense that it has a spiritual element it is a political a message uh, a societal kind of advice and view it's very good i mean i don't know i like many many films but that that's those are the two that have come to mind right now thank you for listening to this episode i love storytelling and i love watching movies and television serials so this episode was particularly fun for me being on the other side and really racking Malik's brains because he has so many amazing insights and so much experience in that world that it was it was well worth making the journey to to sit with him and to speak with him and to do this episode right off the cuff at the end Malik mentioned the two films that came to his mind stalker and avatar so i've put in the episode description i've put a whole list of not only the films that he mentioned and the 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 films that we talked about in the episode but also malik's top 10 film recommendations 
and links to Malik's own work. And a film recommendation from him carries very strong weight. So if you're in lockdown and you need something to watch, there's a nice list of films there to put on your list. And I've also put the link to the film that Malik has recently filmed and is currently in post-production. It's due to be released in September this year, so I'll keep you posted. And when it's out, maybe we can do another episode reviewing it. So once again, thank you for listening. Stay tuned. Thank you.